Good morning. How are you? Luke chapter 10, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter number 10. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning not wanting just another Sunday. God, we've done this a lot of times, some of us for decades. And what we know about ourselves is that familiarity breeds contempt. So God, how dare we come into your presence with contempt. We're thankful for Jesus today. Thankful that in spite of us, you use us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment that you would speak through your word. That it would be impossible for us to leave here the same person. We pray with Isaiah that you would tear open the heavens and meet us right here. That you manifest your presence among us. Father, we repent before you right now as a body for the things that we love more than you. Ask that you would forgive us. Create a clean spirit in us this morning that we would see with clarity the things that you would have us to see from your word today we love you and it's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray and everybody said amen. amen hey I'm glad you're here last week when we started a series on the parables and um one of the things about parables is that they, they are confusing, and they are supposed to be confusing. When people tell you that the Bible's not confusing, they're lying. Because uh, one of the other things that happens, too, is people say, well, the Bible never contradicts itself. Well, it doesn't, but it appears to. And sometimes I, I think it helps us if we just acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit's help to understand everything in his book. And uh, what I want to share with you today is going to come across like a contradiction. But what I hope to show you is that through these two stories, uh, we're given clarity on how it is we are supposed to live the Christian life. See, and... If you're going to be honest with me today, and I'm going to be honest with you today, tomorrow afternoon, by tomorrow afternoon, maybe even by the time you show up to City Group tonight or on Tuesday, what we do here begins to lose its value. It just begins to lose its value. And what Acts chapter 2 paints is that we would be meeting daily and that God would be adding to his number daily those who were being saved. Well, how does he do that? He does it through you. He does it through you. Just think with me about the city of Tampa. Think about everybody sitting right here 
the people that you know that don't know Christ. Listen, I just confess to you something as a pastor. I hate empty chairs. Empty chairs can't respond to a sermon. Empty chairs can't respond to the gospel. Empty chairs can't share your burdens. If you're watching online, we we need you here. Online is great when you're on vacation or great when you're sick. But it's no replacement for what the Spirit of God does when the church gathers. Peter said it this way in First Peter. He said that we together are a spiritual house being built up in Christ. And so what does that look like on Monday morning? That's what I want to talk about today. And Jesus tells a, a parable here that is... Scandalously dangerous at the time that he told it. Uh, Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you have been in church ever for any amount of time, even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard at least a few verses that talk about the actual story of the three guys and the guy laying in the ditch. Most likely, everybody in this room right now has heard the story. But what I want to do is I want to walk you through this and then remind you that in the divine order of things, the story that comes next is as important to how you interpret the story of the Good Samaritan as it is that you do what the Good Samaritan does. And so let, let, let's get there eventually. But Luke chapter 10, let's just read through this together, starting in verse 25. And uh, what th- one thing I love about the Bible is that the Bible is honest and the Bible is funny. Okay, let's listen to how this starts. Then an expert in the law. How many of you know any experts? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody who is an expert, okay? Because what's about to happen is that the real expert is going to unfold for this expert. Some of your Bibles are going to say lawyer. How the Word of God is active in your life. Okay, and so so here's this expert in the law, and, and here's what he does. He stood up to test him, saying, now listen, teens and preteens, don't ever test the teacher. Don't ever test the teacher. It's not good. It doesn't go well. We, we have tried that before and failed. But here's what he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a valid question, right? It's a valid question. What do I have to do to go to heaven? But here's the problem. This guy had probably memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. This guy was probably a leader in the synagogue. He was at least as a lawyer rubbing shoulders with the leaders in the synagogue. This guy knew the answer to his own question. And he stands up to test Jesus. And Jesus, as always, 
has a great answer. Look what he says. By the way, he doesn't answer the question. He lets this guy answer the question. He says, Jesus says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And here's what he says in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so here's what Jesus says. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. No big deal, right? Let's take a test today. How are you doing at loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and just in case you can do that, you got to love me as much as you love yourself. You got to love Jake as much as you love yourself. Just got hard, right? <laughs> Amy, can I get an amen? <laughs> what what is Jesus doing? Okay, so so the Bible doesn't mince words. Here's an expert. An expert in the law. What was the law of that day? What law did this guy know like the back of his hand? The law of God. He knew the law of God. He was an expert in the law of God. And he comes to God and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know your Bible. Can I just get in your grill a little bit today? You know the answer. You, sitting right here, know every morning that you roll out of bed what you are supposed to do. Listen, I've watched some of you cheer for your favorite football team. I've watched some of you get a promotion at work. I've watched some of you get great news about a child. And wherever you find those victories, it does something in your heart and soul and mind. It lifts your spirit. It raises the value of your life. And you are lifted with that. But let me ask you a question. I have also worshipped Jesus with you. And let me just ask you... Do those two things match? Do those words that we sing match the overflow of your heart? Jesus said it this way, that your cup will run over and spill into the lives of others. What are you worshiping? You see... You and I, in the, in the land that we live, we have the opportunity, and we, many of us are experts in the law. Like, you may not have all the answers, but you know what this book says. The, the time that you spend with God isn't necessarily necessary for you to get more information Maybe what God's asking for you today is to 
have some heart transformation. You see, because here, here's a lawyer. The Bible calls him an expert in God's law. And his heart was a million miles from Jesus. Million miles from Jesus. How do I know that? Look at verse 29. This is the human condition. This is what you struggle with. This is what I struggle with. This is what lost people struggle with. This is what saved people struggle with. This is what everybody in the world struggles with. Look at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself. You just circle that in your Bible. If you got mascara or lipstick or a pencil or a pen, something. Why? Because that is you and I. That is the space that we live in. Every time you feel depressed, you're wanting to justify yourself before God. Whether you know it or not. That might sound counterintuitive to you. But it is. Every time you see somebody else's Instagram feed and wish that your life looked like that, you are wanting to justify yourself. Every time you come to the scripture and see something that you ought to do better and try to do it apart from the Holy Spirit, you are wanting to justify yourself. And what God says is that's fine. You can justify yourself, but you're going to have to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Nothing in your heart ever coming up before Jesus. With all of your soul... Your affection so set on the things of eternity that you you never have a wrong desire. With all your strength, that you would just serve relentlessly, expecting nothing in return. Not even a pat on the back. Not even a smile from your neighbor. And that you would love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Let's be honest. We love ourselves. We, in an idolatrous fashion, love ourselves. Can I just be honest with you as your pastor this morning? If you're watching online, like, we love, we love me some me. I mean, I hate country music, but I'm always reminded when I think about this concept in Scripture, about that song that says, what about me? What about I? What about number one? I don't know the rest. I don't. I hate country music. That's all you're ever going to get out of me. That was awful. I'm gonna, I need to repent right now. Get down on my knees. Repent. If you're taking notes this morning, let me give you point number one. You need to trust the teacher and doubt your own ability. You need to trust the teacher and doubt your own ability. Jesus is about to take this guy, this expert, this so-called expert on a journey in what he already knows. Every Sunday when we gather, my task is to take you on a journey through something that you already know, but to draw you into actually believing it. Because you can know a lot up here and know nothing down here. Just look around our world. At the end of our service today, we're going to take a moment and pray for the hurricane survivors those that have lost loved ones 
natural disasters remind us that there are things in life that are bigger than we are. We look at Charlottesville and we, we ask the question in just utter unbelief why anybody could think that one race is better than the other. What, what, what indescribable evil. What a horrible thing. Why? Because we love us some us. Unless we point the finger at a white supremacist and think that none of that lives inside of our heart, let's be careful because we love us some us. And that's why Jesus says the only way that you can justify yourself is if you love somebody else as much as you love you. But he also says that to crush you. To crush you under the weight. You can't do this. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, hilarious this is. I mean, it's just laughable. Wanting to justify himself before the God of the universe. And we look at the scriptures and we say, man, what an idiot. He was standing right in front of God. What a fool. But what did Jesus say? Jesus told his disciples and us through his word, it would actually be better if he would go away because we would have unfettered access to the throne room of heaven through the Holy Spirit. And we, every morning, get up and we just forget about God. Like, what is wrong with us? And so God's giving this to this guy and just just to crush him. And I want you to know that God's law is there to crush you. We have to learn to trust the teacher and doubt our own ability. We think way too much of what we bring to the table. Way too much. An expert. Just think that through on like a really practical level. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And the one-and-a-half-year-old thinks she knows more than the rest of us. Right? You're like, okay, Baylor, it's night-night time. And she'll go, night-night. No, no, no. <laughs> like, you don't know what I need, Dad. You are already dumb. <laughs> I know everything. You know, and she's like on the couch and she's just like, you know, crawling around. And, ah, and then she like thinks it'd be an awesome idea to just dive headfirst off the couch. And she's so happy. I am so awesome. Woo! Right. But wh- what do you and I know as parents? If you little one and a half year old dive off the couch head first, there's going to be a problem at the bottom. <laughs> what does God know about you? If you live for yourself, you're going to be diving off the cliff and what's going to be at the bottom. Emptiness, depression. God has an office at the end of your rope. And what he's doing with this expert is driving him to the end of the line. Unless you can love God on your own, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love everybody around you. Can I, can I, since I'm already offending you, can I just offend you more? Yes? Amen? Bring it on, pastor. Preach it, white boy. All right? Can I, can I just make this really plain? 
th- that means who, who, he's going to ask this question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is going to tell him a story, and we're going to go through that in a minute. But that means to love my neighbor as myself means that, that I have to love the people I disagree with as much as I love myself. So, so whatever it is that repulses you the most in this world, ISIS, I, like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, think really far. ISIS, white supremacists, just, like despicable evil. Jesus says, love your enemies. How's that going? How's that going? I mean, I don't even like the guy who cuts me off in traffic, let alone somebody who's actually evil. Normally, I'm the evil one. Like, what is wrong with you? Don't you know who I am? Uh, oh, you don't. That's, yeah. Yeah, nobody does. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so Jesus is just like pressing the button farther because you and I need a good perspective of ourselves because we ought to never underestimate our own desire to justify ourselves. We try to do it in so many different ways. But let's look at what happens here. Verse 30. I love the way that the CSB translates this next part. It says that Jesus took up the question. I love that idea. Jesus just you can just picture it in his mind. Like, okay. Alright. He says in verse twenty eight says you answer correctly, told him to do this and you will live. And then verse twenty nine, he's wanting to justify himself. He says, Who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus takes up the question and he tells him a story. You gotta love that about Jesus. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. A priest, a pastor, happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, or day's wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for what extra you spend. Then Jesus asked a penetrating question. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And before we talk about the answer, do you know the backstory of a Samaritan? If you don't, a Samaritan was basically referred to in that time period as a half-breed. The Jews didn't like them because they were half-not-Jew, and the non-Jews didn't like them because they were half-Jew. And so they created their own group of people, and the two majority groups wouldn't spend any time with this minority group because they were viewed as dirty, as despicable 
And so Jesus chooses his words carefully because he knows that this expert would have never, never helped that person. Because one of the things that's interesting here is Jesus chooses to use the priest and the Levite. But um, a lot of times we, we get on to those guys because we, we think, well, you're, you're a priest. Go help the guy. But that priest would have looked at that Samaritan and said, oh, if I help you, I will be unclean. Just a totally convoluted picture of the gospel. And so Jesus asked this guy, who is the neighbor? And here's, here's verse 37, the answer. The guy gives the right answer. The one who showed mercy to him. And here's what Jesus says. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Jesus told the lawyer to go and do what he already knew. But like the lawyer, you and I have work to do here. You and I have work to do. How do I know? What does it mean to love your neighbor? The Bible says elsewhere that it's easy to love people that love you, but it's not easy to love people that don't love you. So just picture in your mind, who's your neighbor? And some of us can't, some of us can't even get to that part because we, we haven't even gotten past some of these other parts. You know, we, we've got so many other idols in the way that like in the old Testament need to be smashed down so that we can see clearly our neighbor. See, because if if you're just building your kingdom, you'll never be able to see clearly to build God's kingdom. And so, he says, go and do the same. But what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? We can't. Can we? I mean, we we can sometimes. Like, we do some good things. But a lot of times, we're just just not that great. Yesterday, you know, we we were talking about giving and and all that. One of the things that your giving does here is yesterday, Pastor Jake and Amy went and took our van to drive some refugee women to a grief share meeting. Just I, I know it opened our eyes to uh, to our neighbor. Just pondering that, you know, here here are a group of women who do not believe what we believe. To many in this country, they are an enemy. Who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Here's a little Redeemer City Church. <laughs> Driving our crappy van. <laughs> and the air died. And, the, and Jake said, you know you know it's hot when someone, a lady from the Middle East says, hot, hot. <laughs> she doesn't even speak English, but she, you know, she somehow knew how to get out hot. <laughs> so your money's going to go to fix the air conditioner this week. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> Why? We, you know, Jake and I were talking yesterday, like, like, 
we can't even have a conversation with them. Good Samaritan couldn't have a conversation with that guy. He was half dead. And he took him to the hospital. Why are you serving your neighbor? Because they're half dead. Are you tracking with me right now? You serve your neighbor because they are dying forever. And Jesus looks at us and says, go and do the same. But like I know Jake and I were feeling yesterday having that conversation, it's just so overwhelming. The weight and responsibility of that. How do we do it? I want you to look at the next story. I want you to look at the next story. Look at verse 38. While they were traveling... Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha, you know Martha and Mary, we love these two because they picture us, don't they? Here it comes. Martha welcomed him into her home. I mean, come on, you type A ladies, if you were having Jesus over the son of God, you tell me, would you not clean the house? Would you not fold the clothes? Kids, you go pick up your room right now, but I don't want to pick up your room. Jesus is coming. God is coming to your house. You, you want to get judged? Jesus will come check if you cleaned your room or not. I'm not even coming in there tonight. Maddox, Jesus is coming in here. He's going to check on your room. Even, even my five-year-old would be like, I'm going to clean up my room. I won't do it for you, Dad, but I'll do it for Jesus, right? So Martha has God coming over for dinner. We bag on Martha, but come on, ladies. If God was coming over for dinner, you would be a busy bee, right? And let's just be honest. Husbands, we would be vacuuming. God's coming over. Woo! Right? We'd be dusting. We'd be cleaning the blinds. And here's what, that's what Martha's doing. I love the Bible. Verse 39, she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, don't you love Martha's just raw, real God is over for dinner. Can I remind you that? The God of the universe over for dinner. And here's what she says to God. Lord, don't you care? I mean, you're God. You should care that my sister has left me to serve alone. You tell her to give me a hand because you're God. She'll listen to you. She won't. She ain't going to listen to me. How many parents? Amen to that. You tell them to clean their room, God. You know, don't, don't act like you never told me that. Jesus, you said Jesus said to obey your parents. You go clean your room right now. Now, granted, my five year old has never looked at me, but daddy, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus reading the Bible. I'd be like, oh, you don't have to clean your room. Listen to Jesus' response here, and we learn a lot about the story of the Good Samaritan. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you know when you hear your name twice, it's like the equivalent of the modern day saying, bless your heart. That's what, if you're new to the faith, that's what Christian people say when they feel bad for you. Oh, bless your heart, you're hopeless. (laughs) 
it's going to take a miracle to reach you. (laughs) Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. So look at the picture here. She's busy about her many tasks. She's worried about many things. Is that not you and I? Is that not you and I tomorrow morning at 7.30 or if you're like, if you're horrible like my kids, 5.30? Yeah, can I get a prayer? (laughs) Not at 5.30. (laughs) Fair enough. I won't judge you. I will on the inside, but not on the outside. This is us. This is us in the United States of America. We are worried about many, many things. Many tasks. But listen to what Jesus' heart for you is in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Why are those two stories next to each other? He, he seems to contradict himself here, and I think Luke under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put them side by side because you and I need to recognize something. Okay, so Jesus is saying, go and do, and then he's coming over here and saying, there's only one thing necessary, stop and enjoy. Well, how do I do that and do this at the same time? Because in that, we see perhaps... The most important part of you and I living for Christ. Here's how I would say it to you. Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for God and never spending time to commune with God. We spend a lot of time like this expert trying to work for God while never taking the time to commune with God. And what Jesus is saying is if you will take the time to commune with me, what does he say in Ephesians? I will do immeasurably more than you could ask or even imagine. You want to see God move in your life? Sit at the feet of Jesus. It's so counterintuitive to us because we don't think that way. We are busy about our many tasks. We're worried about many things. And Jesus says that we're to do these things that it's impossible to do. But if you will take time to commune with God, you will begin to see the way God sees. And you will begin to do what God does. And it will not be hard for you. Like it was hard for this expert. Because God says if he is for you, who can be against you? Because God says he can do more than you can imagine. But see, a lot of times we use that to pump ourselves up. But the reality is, is that that's a tangible reality if you will sit and commune with the God of the universe. Listen, my prayer for you is that through the week you would commune with God so that you could serve your neighbor and then we would come back here on Sunday and we would worship all that God has done. You see, we want God to do immeasurably more out there so that he'll come back and do immeasurably more in here. So today I want to 
ask you to do three things. I want you to ask you to trust the teacher. To trust the teacher. That sounds a lot easier than it is. To trust the teacher. Because we like to trust ourselves. Because we can feel our to-do list. (laughs) We can see it. Trust the teacher. Number two, don't underestimate your desire to justify yourself. You have to resist that. And number three, commune with God on a daily basis. One thing is necessary, and it will not be taken away from you. Let's pray together.